0: Hey, folks, today we're joined by Ramly John, one of my favorite marketers and someone I've admired and followed on Twitter for many years. Ramly got his start in marketing at PepsiCo as a marketing systems analyst where he stayed for four years. After a co-founding stint, Ramly moved to Toronto where he started his freelancing career as a SaaS growth consultant. Along the way, he worked at a few different companies, including Skyverge, which exited to GoDaddy. He also spent a few years teaching as a marketing instructor at big name spots like Red Academy, Centennial College, and CXL Institute. He started what's widely known as one of the top marketing podcasts on the planet, Growth Marketing Today, and he's one of the inspirations of our podcast here. Um, He went on to join Product-Led, the leading community for PLG pros founded by Wes Bush, the famous author of uh, PLG Growth. And during his time there, Ramley wrote his own book with Wes. Uh, It hit shelves last year, Product-Led Onboarding. I've read it twice, and it's been a huge career growth lever for me personally. So uh, really looking forward to dive into that. And now he's landed in what seems to be the perfect role, director of content at one of the top no-code onboarding tools in AppCues, Damn. What a resume, what a journey, Ramley. It's a, it's an honor to have you on. Thanks for your time.
1: Thanks for the invite, Phil and John. I'm super excited to be here. I've also been listening to your podcast and I'm always listening to other podcasts. So um, great. you know, I'm, I'm with good company. I've had Corey Haynes and a few other really folks that I admire on the show.
0: Very cool. Thanks for saying that. We, yeah, we chatted with Corey uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, as well. We, um, we had Samara Ways on as well. So like folks in, in, in the Twitter sphere nice. of like uh, podcasting too. So I uh, learned a ton from from listening to your show for sure. We've got a bunch of jumping off points here that i love to dive into on the podcast. Uh, you know, the book, also the new gig that I'd love to, to chat with. But Maybe we can dive into kind of a, an early career question. Um, we uh, just mentioned that you started at PepsiCo. You kind of did a 180 when you went from like a massive 100K plus enterprise at Pepsi to then co-founding a startup. How, how wild was that transition? And, and what advice would you have for listeners that are maybe in big companies today thinking of starting something of their own one day?
1: Yeah, um, I think that experience really crystallized for me the kind of person i want to be i think there are people who thrive in larger companies um for me i i joke around with my friends i felt like my soul was dying every day i went to work Uh, part of it was like oh man i'm i'm making more people unhealthy with the products i was i was marketing unhealthy products that i wasn't proud of proud about and i think that was startup world um looking back i think there was some experiences that, you know, I, I probably could have tried joining a start first before jumping in head first. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a crash course starting uh, a startup. Um, and you know, like that, it was really a lot of control. Uh, you lose a lot of free- freedom as to what your flexibility into what you can do. Um, typically your, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not speaking for every large companies, I'm sure other companies have different culture, but the place I was at where, you know, outposts, like we were one tenth of the American the PepsiCo U S so. There were definitely uh less freedom there so i think the realization that whenever i look for a new opportunity or role uh, it's important important for me to have that that um uh, that ownership and flexibility in terms of the role i still like
2: what i can do instead of being told what to do mm-hmm. so that was a great experience yeah for sure well, I was going to dig in a little bit around uh, just the freedom, like for people who are entering into a startup or are thinking of it, like what is it in your experience, what does it look like having that freedom, of, you know, being an early stage marketer or marketer in early stage company, like talk about a little bit about the the, the contrast and, and what does freedom actually look like and feel like in a, in a startup environment?
1: Yeah, uh, I think freedom in a startup is like your ability to run with what you feel like will be the thing that will move the needle the most in terms of that at that company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think freedom is a double edged sword. I think the the challenge is you're at the startup and mm-hmm. you there's a hundred different things you can do. Like you, you could, there's so many tactics, there's so many channels and, uh, you know, there, it really is a challenge now of focus versus on the other end where, uh, where, where I was in that larger organization where, we were very focused, but I was being told what to do, mm-hmm. where I didn't have that, that ability. Uh, so that's what I would say with freedom is like you're presented with a problem, and you have kind of the path you, you decide, you, you know, I created the path to solving the problem rather than uh, you're presenting with a solution to just implement, implement it
0: super cool like uh I, I i dived into that company a little bit like the the one that you co-founded is uh still has like a an active linkedin page so um oh <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's uh it was cool to to kind of like look at your resume like i was like familiar with like your your newest like body of work but it was like oh shit like Ramley spent four years at PepsiCo, like nice. And it was like a a pretty technical position, right? Like you, your background, like you studied like uh, math, right? Like if I remember like a bit of computer science too. So like you, you dived in as like your first experience of marketing was like pretty technical and like a massive company. So talk about like, maybe like just like kind of transitioning from like that, like little bubble that you were at, at PepsiCo to like maybe the different roles that you did, like once you went on to like consulting and like those like smaller companies moving into like onboarding which is like you're you're kind of jammed now but you also did like b2b top of funnel stuff like how did you kind of like talk about that transition of coming out of that bubble at Pepsi?
1: well yeah once i decided that it was like time to go <laughs> <laughs> uh i actually went to school first i think that was like part of it doing a startup was the ability to to go back to school uh and did some business degree my my like, you're right my background was very very technical and. Having that business degree uh, helped me open up, I think, to know that there's more stuff out there and talk a little bit more about accounting, which I hated. <laughs> I didn't do that well in, in college <laughs> and finance and, you know, like, uh, and other things. Like And really, like, got, got a chance to meet my my co-founder there, actually, at business school. So we were both technical. We were both um, programmers back then. Uh, and then we we just went at it. I think that was the other challenge that I realized was, like, uh the realization that we were building the school product and I was building and building and I didn't really have a foundation in marketing. Mm -hmm. And I was just guessing and I started reading and blogging about it. And I just (laughs) landed a few people is like, Oh, you look like you're doing a good job with 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 blogging and, and stuff we need we need your help. And uh, that that's when I got into marketing consulting, Uh, having that technical background was super, super helpful being able to tweak like HTML and some JavaScript and you know sometimes digging into their code base on, on GitHub was, was, was helpful and in digging into the analytics. Uh and and that that kinda of, that thread kinda of pulled all the way through to uh, me landing a few roles in, in startups and you know and ended up like really getting interested in onboarding. Uh, I can talk more in detail about like how I ended up in onboarding. It really is me realizing i'm driving a lot of signups for this this company that i was working with and a lot of them weren't turning into like engaged users i, I looked at mm-hmm. their uh, i looked at their analytics just like one second uh, i'm mm-hmm. bringing you guys like a thousand or like you're they were happy with the number of users i was bringing in but i was like they're not sticking around <laughs> this mm-hmm. is this doesn't feel right like i i sure i'm i'm doing my quote-unquote job here by bringing on these users and, um, you know, and really getting people excited about it. But if they're not sticking around that it's, it's not really, you know, I feel like my work is not done. Is <laughs> yeah. what, what I felt, felt like. And that's when I really got into user onboarding and digging mm-hmm. into that. And I ran across West. We both uh, were alumni from Waterloo, So uh, that's how we connected in West bushes to found a product plan, which I ended up working uh, and, just a random story he reached out to me actually four or five years ago before he was he started a product led, like cold cold dm me on linkedin it's like hey it looks (laughs) like you're from more let's let's chat about marketing it's like sure (laughs) i think there's a story around um you don't people don't really know who you'll end up working with like some people that um there's this you know serendipity uh there's um some Chance, even called luck, sometimes plays a big role in, in career, mm-hmm. uh, and and people's success with startups, uh, and really like I think that's people don't talk enough about how luck and serendipity yeah. plays a big role sometimes in, in career and in company growth.
2: Yeah, I think that's you made a couple points there that I thought were interesting. Like that luck and serendipity component, like you watching people who have what look like on the outside stellar careers. And you remember you've got a great skill set and an element of luck to be successful. You know, and it's kind of funny because in your own journey around onboarding, I, I see my own journey, you know, when you're starting off marketing, you're thinking, How do I get more users, more signups, more signups? And then you start following that thread. And next thing you know, you're thinking much more about onboarding and and you've written a book about it. I've read the book as well, and it's a fantastic read. It's something I find really interesting. Maybe we can dive a little into um, one point you might make in the book is about assembling the team, right? And I think when you start thinking about onboarding, you're all of a sudden deep into product land and talking to developers and stuff. Talk about a little bit about what does that product uh, onboarding team look like and and the role that a, a great marketer can play in it. Yeah, I I think often uh,
1: what I've seen, unfortunately, is that marketers are not uh, involved because they think it's, you know, the product team or engineering or customer success is like, oh, um, marketers don't have anything to add to to the onboarding. But I, you know, I argue that marketers have such a big role because they really communicate a big problem that I see often is the copy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the words It's such a, like, I'd say 80% of getting users excited is from the words and 20% is from, you know, making it easier with the design and just having somebody who can put, get people excited, communicate the value, having clear positioning and messaging makes anything makes the onboarding a lot easier, even if there's a, a ton of friction there. So I would say marketers definitely are starting to get more involved with that. Funnily enough, AppQ's the one that owns our onboarding is a marketer. <laughs> She's mm-hmm. in customer marketing, a uh, lot of the results, shout out to her. But she owns all of our onboarding experiences right now uh, in-app. And I think it's super interesting that a marketer owns that because she, she has that content and copy twist that can really add experiences to that. Definitely marketers need to be there. Product obviously needs to be there. They, they help with the in-app um, experiences. Uh, and, you know, you got... I would say even sometimes the sales team should be involved mm-hmm. in that because they have a lot of um, objections that mm-hmm. they've heard often over and over again that could, could be addressed during the onboarding. Mm-hmm. As well as you know you, you got customer success definitely who, who've seen multiple tickets and they might've seen patterns that could be mm-hmm. addressed by having something in the experience uh, and being more proactive about that rather than waiting for somebody to raise up with their hands and, and, and create a support ticket with that. So mm-hmm. it definitely is a cross-functional uh, uh, effort that needs mm-hmm. to be addressed, and it's often often forgotten. Unfortunately, I, I call onboarding like the ugly duckling of growth, <laughs> because <laughs> it's it's this weird middle space where you know you, the product is driving to get more new features, sales and marketing typically is getting more trying to get new users, and the middle ground where the, those those two worlds collide is often often forgotten there.
2: One of the things that I'm curious about, you mentioned at queues marketing owns the onboarding experience. Um, definitely depends on the configuration. I'm sure that you've seen all kinds of configurations. Uh, product team in my, in my world is the owner of the onboarding experience. What recommendations do you have for marketers listening to this podcast thinking, okay, product owns onboarding, but marketing really wants to have a contribution here? Like, what are the steps that you think that someone should be thinking to, to be involved yeah,
1: I think it's, it's starting off with what that marketer can control. Often it starts with onboarding emails. That's usually mm-hmm. how I got started with and um, in-app messages usually uh, is where it starts So anything related to messaging, <laughs> which yeah. product would be like, yeah, we we'll, we can get your help with that. <laughs> <laughs> and then start slowly getting into like, Hey, I noticed, you know, just providing thoughts on the copy on the product tour. So tool tips, like, it's like oh, um I what you know pro- product team loves when you mention like a b tests and, and things like that so it's like oh I think I, I think there's a great a b test we can we can do with this you know we can experiment with this particular experience uh mm-hmm. with, with with copy and you know I've seen this and sharing ideas there and slowly getting more and more involved uh, it's one way I think it, it's a gradual process because I think the challenge I've also seen is is um, product team Uh, starts feeling like you're stepping into their toes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's definitely not what that 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 is, I think there definitely needs to be a gradual process or or there's like a um, a, a, a leadership champion, like a Mm -hmm. VP or a director who's really driving onboarding. It now Mm -hmm. um, there's somebody you can really get everybody together without um, people feeling like others are getting into others ways.
0: Yeah. One of the parts in your book that you kind of like tackle this uh, directly that I've used in, 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 in past lives and in my career is this idea that like presenting the leaky bucket funnel to the product team and like explaining to them that like that first initial Mm. onboarding section isn't like the be all end all. Like I think like the, the statistic, I don't remember exactly the number, but like something around like 80 plus people, like never come back in your product. Mm. And Email is like a big part of that, like retargeting ads as well. And like, I found that to be the easiest way to get marketing included in some discussions, like just lay out those metrics, mm. like, Hey, I just pulled out a funnel here. Like, here's how many people signed up. Here's how many people like successfully finished the tour. Here's how many people come back the next day. And then like the product team is just like, holy shit. Like you're telling me that there's less than 10% of people that come back on the second day. Like, yeah, we have a leaky bucket funnel issue here. And. And my marketing emails that are onboarding these users are like tied separately from what you're doing in the product. So let, let's sit together, figure out how to get more of these users into the product after the first day. And yeah, I really love that, that part of your book. Yeah.
1: hundred percent. I think, I think that's a really great point. I think data can that leaky bu- bucket and, and data can really be a, a ra- a rallying call where like to, to your, to your point, like, it could be like, oh my goodness, this is a huge problem for us. Let's work together mm-hmm. to fix this rather than you do your thing, product, you do your think customer success, we'll do our thing as marketers and, you know, we'll all do our thing rather than like, okay, we have a big problem. Let's work together to, to solve this and tackle this and, and, and get as many people to come back as this, because it, mm-hmm. it, it does have a huge impact into the business.
2: Yeah. Yeah, totally. In my kind of, I don't know, last couple of years, product led has become way more of a common term in, in this space. I'm curious in terms of, do you think product led is gaining more traction because of this top-down approach around, let's make sure that everything's cohesive? Like, is it a cultural shift in, in SaaS businesses specifically, or is it something being driven by like marketing teams or, you know, the leaky funnel? Let's, let's make more money, right? Um, do you want to speak a little bit about the trends there? I think it's a little bit of a both. Um, when I was
1: working a product led, often I would hear is the, you know, that the, the latter half where like, oh shoot, like our growth is stalling. Let's find a new shiny thing to help fix this. Yeah. <laughs> it's product led growth, let's do it. Let's yeah. do self-serve, figure this out. And then halfway through they're like, oh shit. Like this is not enough to release a free trial. There is a cultural shift. Do this where mm-hmm. you can't just have product design as free trial and then you're done uh, and marketers to bring in users. There really needs to be that cohesive culture change where, you know, like there's, you know, like there's definitely like everybody working together in uh, removing any kind of um, cross departmental uh, barriers needs to mm-hmm. definitely be removed uh, rather than, you know, in traditional companies I've seen where marketing marketing team does their own thing. And then the product team does their own thing in a lot of product led companies, like marketing attends sales meetings and product attends marketing and sales meetings. And uh, there's like sales and marketing product and sales. And then they're, they have, they're trying to as, as much as possible, make sure that the buying experience is seamless and that requires every single department working together and, and, you know, um, Making sure that the baton doesn't get dropped you know, in like a relay race, analogies essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like one one of the key like buzzwords that that came out of PLG is kind of this idea of the product qualified lead, like PQLs. And uh, a, like a, a term that kind of jumped out to me uh, reading your book was the PAI term, like listeners have probably all heard of, of PQLs by now, uh, product qualified leads, the criteria that kind of like tell you someone has experienced your product or gotten some mileage in it. But yeah, in your book, you talk about PAI, product adoption indicators. Can you kind of unpack for for listeners here that the difference between uh, both of those?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. People have heard of PQL quite often. Um, it's just leads that are, have shown. I mean, that's a problem with PQL is yeah. that it's the definition is different. For I mean, it's like MQL or SQL. Like if yeah, you go yeah. to any company, like what is uh, MQL, SQL, and PQL? It depends from company to company and it's an arbitrary term that essentially means it's uh, PQL is a, a good lead that has shown engagement within your product essentially mm-hmm. so some for some it's just ho- hopefully it's not hopefully the definition for companies is not like when somebody when a user signs up that's a PQL yeah. and then sales <laughs> jumps in it's like oh come on I just <laughs> signed up I haven't done anything yet like why are you calling me sales team yeah it needs to be something more uh something more uh, valuable like they've they've done something or they've set something up for use, uh it's when they've set up their first flow, I said, test, you know, like something really meaningful. The product uh, uh, adoption indicator is uh, a term of coin that you know i've seen actually a company do this where they're they're really tying a number or some kind of action within the product that now correlates or indicates that a user has, you know, closely adopted or is about to adopt uh, the product uh, itself. That could be different from the PQL, which is like an arbitrary term uh, versus P- product adoption requires some kind of analysis of the data and, and finding some kind of like, once again, correlation there. An example I, I've given for product adoption indicator or PAI, Is with Slack where, you know, if they have, you know, Stuart Butterfield, the CEO and founder of of Slack said that for them, onboarding an account is not complete until a team has sent, I believe it's 2000 messages. So it's Mm -hmm. something that has indicated. And and he said they're 92% more likely to stick around if Mm -hmm. they perform this specific action. So for me, that's really the end goal of the initial onboarding is like, how do we get these people to come back and make sure that they actually stick around and not just like to experience the aha moment, mm-hmm. uh, which is part of the journey, but it's not definitely the end goal. It's like really the end goal of onboarding should be retention. And, you know, and that's
2: where the, the PAI comes in. Mm-hmm. Something, something that just kind of jumped into my head was um, as you were talking, like, We've all experienced this flood of sales outbound people, you know, constantly in your inbox. You sign up for a product, and you're getting immediately into the sales engagement. What do you think is the right balance for sales teams and and for marketing teams to enable their 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 sales teams in a product led environment? I I would definitely not push back on companies that
1: send their salespeople after people sign up. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's just a great way to annoy people unless you find okay i'll take i'll take that back there are certain situations where that might be uh helpful especially if the product's very very technical then maybe there's some work in terms of their product led onboarding Mm -hmm. often the the highest success rate uh in terms of sales uh reaching out to a a user that hasn't become a customer yet is usually when they've done something very like a a success a a success moment Uh, Would be super, super helpful for them to reach out so that the outreach can be, hey, John, congrats on setting up this feature. I noticed that you were able to experience a little bit of value with this. Um, Would love to just introduce myself, see if you need help with anything that sounds more welcoming than, hey, John, I noticed you just signed up. Can you please mm-hmm. jump on a 15 minute demo call yeah. <laughs> right now, rather than yeah. congrats, John. Like that's yeah. a different tone. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's a super, you know, it, it, I've seen success um, rate in terms of open response rate a lot higher when you are uh, hitting on that high point of mm-hmm. the, the customer journey. Another moment is when somebody's frustrated, that could be another moment where, you know, when you're seeing somebody smash a button over and over again. Like, this is not working. Like, I think there's mm-hmm. tools like full story where you can see somebody do rage clicks is what they call. <laughs> and I, th- mm-hmm. I think that's a good moment Like, like, hey, John, I noticed you've been rage clicking there. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> can I help you with something? And you, and I- the- your- you can pour out your frustration <laughs> on this email, yeah. but I think those are key moments when it's very high, when they're happy or when they're very frustrated, could be uh, opportunities to to reach out uh, a, a human assist send a, assist as a human or send a salesperson mm-hmm. or, or a customer success.
2: Um, yeah, we were talking to a previous guest, Dave Rigotti about product led. And when it came to the sales question, we joked, uh, does product led mean firing your entire entire sales team? But I think what we're hearing here is that there's a shift here, right? The sales, this, the traditional sales organization that, you know, pitch demos, s- close the deal is a little bit, more nuanced, maybe uh, the better word for uh, what the sales the sales team is looking to do. How do you see marketing's role in supporting those sales teams in, in these onboarding flows and and helping them, you know, connecting with customers in an authentic way?
1: Yeah, I, I what I'm seeing actually a good great example is actually a Canadian company that unfortunately got acquired by an American company, <laughs> Wave Financial. <laughs> Uh, and I got a chance to. If you haven't already, you should definitely talk to their director of the She mm-hmm. she is Sarah. Um, I'm gonna get. I'm not gonna remember the last name. But what I my conversations with with them, Sarah Bujaya Buge- Buge- Bujaga. Um, I'll send over the LinkedIn app, in, She's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> a lot of the you know, the PAI was inspired by them actually I chatted with their head of growth mm. um, and they they were talking about their the goal of marketing there has shifted from getting people to sign up like their goal is not just to get user signups. their goal is actually get it to get as many users that have reached the PAI so that's mm-hmm. kind of the shift mm. where they're not no longer just like hey if retention is our goal where the marketing team needs to optimize for users that are are more likely to stick around rather than ones that are just going to sign up and leave mm-hmm. and often that means finding channels um that and you know if example a good example from my experience uh in a b2b company uh, other b2b company jill the one that got acquired by godaddy i wrote, ran a bunch of facebook ads i got a bunch of signups like lots of signups and i could be like my job is done i got a lot of <laughs> ad. But those signups usually from Facebook ads didn't stick around. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like, okay, is this success? The traditional model uh, is like, yes, it's success. I got signups mm-hmm. in, in this l- newer models. Like, okay, how many of those people actually stuck around? <laughs> and if only one out of like a hundred stuck around, then I would say that channel is actually not as good as pe- people would think. So I think that's kind of the shift has been like, let's, let's look at channels that drive. Uh, thing and how do we tweak our campaigns and our messaging around really driving users to stick around rather than ones that don't?
0: Mm-hmm. That's super cool. I think that like uh, something else that helps around that is conversational bumpers. Uh, you, you talk about that in your book. Uh, it's, it's actually one of my favorite analogies in, in your book. You've got a lot of analogies, which is like uh, one of my favorite parts of the book, but you, you compare you compare this to kind of like the, the bowling analogy and, and how you compare uh, onboarding emails and SMS messages to conversational bumpers on, on like the, the bowling alley to help users kind of get their first strike, right? Like see the first value of the product. Um, maybe unpack this, this idea a little bit and, and how like teams can kind of use this instead of just like, let's drive to this aha moment. And instead like unpacking it to like, here are like the, the steps that like users can take before they get to see the, the full value instead of that first like aha moment that everyone thinks onboarding is about.
1: Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think you, you got to really got to the point there. Like you, you want to drive, you know, break down the steps or really get users to to that moment of value that that you know that aha moment that everybody talks about mm-hmm. and really like and the way that i see i see bumpers now is that it's it definitely the, the success i've seen and this is work that um you know, geister has done and a, a ton of other you know um email marketers have done is really focus on behaviors of users that have they they've done or not done within within the product and really like try to figure out if they haven't done this thing is it because um, they're lacking resources, or you know they're lacking? They need help with something, or they got stuck, or is it more of a motivational side where you know they got distracted and they just need a little bit of extra push? Mm-hmm. And when I say push, it's not like oh, you know, like you you can get somebody to do something by just nagging them. Maybe not successfully, so, but it's not. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good, but. One way to do it that I've seen really well is, is, you know, sharing templates or sharing case studies or, um, you know, like really driving, like, if they're stuck, is there uh, a template or a shortcut or something that you can share um, that really can help out with this. An example I've seen is with uh, user user lists where they, funny enough, they help SaaS companies create behavior-based emails and communication. And they actually created this really cool um, workbook or resource where, like, one of the challenges they found was a lot of their users, uh, SaaS founders that they, they target, they don't know where to start. Like, sure, they have the tool, but, like, where's their, you know, what would be the first message? What's the second message? So they here. It's like, here's, here's a, a template as well as a step by step resource that you can take to plan out your. Your in-app messaging even before you you sign up, and that can speed up people setting up their stuff in there. Uh, And really, I think that's super, super powerful. They can you can share whether that's in a you know in conversation bumper as well as product bumper itself.
2: I was going to say, it feels like, you know, a lot of products led onboarding is really a, a mission to find product market fit. I know talking with product teams, uh, in my, in my personal life, or uh, professional life, there's often this kind of internal debate on product teams. Do you develop rich feature sets for your power users or do you, do you focus your time and energy on the entry points? Um, what do you think of that?
1: Yeah, so I think it depends on the stage of the company. Often when they're in hyper growth, the danger is when they're focused on releasing new features that help power users, um, the onboarding gets neglected. And now you're going to have a bunch of power users and not enough new users who are becoming power users. So I've, I found um, product teams have, and there's this term, other, I don't know if it's just a buzz uh, job term that I've been seeing more, product growth. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, you're not just a product manager, You're product manager growth, which, mm-hmm. you know, growth, growth product manager, and it might be related to product led, but I've seen, seen that more and more where product growth managers typically more focus on uh, how do we help new users connect to value uh, over again, rather than the traditional product manager is focused on driving this, this roadmap and releasing futures just based on the evolution of the product itself. So I think there's, now this, 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 you know, a nuance where, you know, there's some product managers who are focused on the onboarding. There are some product managers who are focused on what you, you, you mentioned around building new features to get power users and increase the revenue per user, essentially. Mm-hmm.
0: It's been an interesting shift to, to, to notice for sure. Like I, I, you're, you're about like, uh. Six months ish uh, into into AppCues, right? Like you're you're leading the content team. You're teaching SaaS teams about onboarding and and product adoption. When, when I saw you announce that you were joining AppQs, I was like, damn, that's that's an ultimate fit for Ramley. He gets to go back to SaaS and he gets to keep pumping out content about onboarding, which he was kind of doing at, at PLG Institute, right? I'd love to hear like the journey, uh, how it's been so far. Maybe tell us uh, how, how the opportunity came up, like how that conversation kicked, uh, whatever you're willing to share there. But uh, yeah, super curious
1: yeah uh what was very helpful and i think that that was one of the things that you you got right as well where you know a product led it's more of a training slash consulting model where i was running their cohort based program and there was that itch like i feel like i'm on the sideline Mm it was like i'm watching the i don't know what sport you watch i'm watching the hockey players or the basketball players play on the field yeah. or the basketball court and I'm on the sideline just watching and telling <laughs> uh, helping people <laughs> helping people do better with the shots mm-hmm. and I think that's w- late last year when I, I realized that I wanted to jump back to SaaS and I just I mentioned it to a few folks and one of them was Eric Keating which I've done presentation before Eric Keating is the VP of Marketing at AppCuse. Um and we've done some I've, re- I've interviewed him on a podcast which is another really interesting thing where like sometimes you don't realize the, the guest you have could end up becoming your boss or your business <laughs> partner or or refer you to a consulting contract that you didn't um realize would happen mm-hmm. and i've inter- interviewed him on a podcast we've done some webinars together and i just mentioned hey I, i've been feeling like i want to get back to SaaS, and then it was like oh really because we have this role open that just opened up and we just raised some money so let me Let me get back to you, and then we started chatting from there, Uh, and that's how I got into Appcuse, which is really fortunate because like Appcuse is one of the companies that I respect respected in terms of the content, um, and how how you know they built this this product out, um, and so that that's how I got into that's how I got to where I am. It's true once again serendipity. Yeah. Uh. And and two podcasts and yeah, uh, serendipity and having
0: a podcast <laughs> <laughs>
1: it really is it. like i it really is surprising how much um having a podcast can open doors mm-hmm. in terms of like uh the other thing was with wes with uh from product Light. i interviewed him up on a podcast as well and that opened uh, <laughs> opened started the discussion so you never know you might meet you uh, both of you might meet your future boss or business partner <laughs> <laughs> One of the episodes you you record on on yeah. this, this podcast show?
0: Maybe we, we already have. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's dive into the podcast a little bit. Uh, I know we're getting close on time, but I, I did want to like tease this out a little bit. Um, you did, uh, growth marketing today for four years plus now you're still running it. Uh, your last episode was with, uh, Mark Thomas, who I'm also a, a big fan of, uh, the show seems like a bit of a, on, on a break right now. I know you've got a ton of stuff like going on with like starting app queues and like the life stuff, like uh i, I want to dive in like one question i wanted to ask you like we're, we're super early in in our journey on on the humans of martech but i remember you once posting on linkedin about how long it took you before you finally started to gain big traction on on growth marketing today and what advice do you have for people uh and this like, this was us like your early days like a bit better now but like people that are creating content with a small audience that are just getting started and it feels like they're just like screaming into the void and like releasing content within the getting no engagement, like what advice do you have for folks that are like really early in that journey? Yeah, one of the advice
1: I've actually gotten from another podcaster uh, is I think very, very early on, often um, your do- the downloads will take some time, <laughs> you know, the listeners uh, will take some time I think it's a quality, the quality rather than quantity metrics. I don't even know if it's the right term, the quality data is data points are more important early on. And, and that goes back to, you know, meeting new people and networking and, and connecting with folks and really like it's, it's chat, chatting with folks who have written books or created frameworks or speak in front of two to 3,000 um, people conferences. Uh, and having them on a one-on-one chat like in this conversation it's it's like it's like getting a free one-hour consulting and for some folks that their their hourly consulting rate is not expensive i remember (laughs) when i interviewed uh this other person gilotti if you haven't had her you should definitely but Georgina lottie she used to be vp of marketing at balance but i remember looking at our website and said, like, said hey, if you want to book an hour with me it's seven hundred dollars i'm like what the heck <laughs> i was like i'm getting a chance to chat with this person uh, and really pick up their brain uh and i think the other thing that that was surprising is those people that i had on the podcast have become friends like i've mm. met them in person they've toured me like one bill Bill king who used to work at drift like toured me around boston when, when i was there um, you know, I'm chatting now with Gia and like Claudio, like other people that I've had on the podcast before, uh, we're now chatting with each other. Like we're, we're actually friends based on, based on that. So I think that's one thing that I've learned is that, you know, like early on the first two to three years, it was more quality. And then I, I don't know what happened, but at some point goes back to luck, <laughs> something mm-hmm. happens and then it just rolls, rolls up. I feel like that, like people don't realize how much luck plays, but like mm-hmm. when, it was the turning point was when I had April Dunford on the show. Uh, Mm. And, and it was like very, very momentous. And it goes back to serendipity and luck again, where she was just about to release her book, uh, obviously awesome, which is all about product positioning. And, you know, like, she's like, Oh, I'm writing this book. I'm like, Oh, you want Can I interview for this show? And she's like, sure. She says yes to everybody, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) If you have a podcast show, reach out to her. She's 99.9% 99.9% sure she's going to say yes. This is what she told me. <laughs> and then I got her on and the the show released at the same time as her book, which I didn't even realize. <laughs> I was like, what nice. the heck? Uh, and that I was one of the first uh, person to interview her for the book. So that picked up steam from there and it just uh, went up and people noticed, and uh, somebody reached out to, to sponsor it. And, and yeah, that's, it took two to three years. And then
2: finally some, some movement <laughs>
0: Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. That's awesome
2: advice. Um, one question we ask all the guests and, and we'll, we'll wrap up here is uh, about happiness. It's it's kind of one of the themes of our show, you know, ha- happiness and success. How do we help marketers uh, achieve that? Interviewing great people like you is one part of, our, of fulfilling that mission. Part of it is also asking this question. Uh, Ramley, you've got like a ton going on. You're a podcaster, an author, a speaker. Uh, I believe you're soon to be a dad as well. Uh, congrats on that. Thank you're leading you. a content content team at one of the coolest companies in the world. Like, how do you how do you balance it all? How do you stay successful and happy in your in your career? I that's
1: a really great question around happiness. Um, I would say that the way that I've been looking more and more into it, uh, is, is really looking at what really being brutally, brutally honest with myself and, and, and looking at what things give me energy and what things take away energy and making sure that, uh, I balance the both and not like come out of each day or each week or each month. Like I've been totally, totally drained. Um, I ended up working with like, um, a leadership and life coach last year. And it, that person really helped me out to figure out like one of the things that really, and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have guessed this because like, oh, I'm a math guy. I do math things. <laughs> and he was like, after a few discussions and like taking this, um, it, it, I forgot what test it is, but it was like, one of the tests that, that he subscribes. It's like, oh, I realized like what really gives you energy randomly is like creating stuff. I'm mm-hmm. like, huh. You're actually a creative guy that likes to create things like music, uh, you know, like writing and, you know, like it's like, it's like, oh, I didn't realize that Hmm. (laughs) I thought I, I thought I'm the math guy, but like (laughs) looking back at, you know, people looking back, it's like, yeah, math is kind of creative, but I never thought about it that way. So, so that helped me realize, like, add more, like, you know, play guitar a, a few times or, know, right when, when I feel tired or, or just, just listen to music is even something that gets my creative juice going and making sure that there's a balance with, with, with things rather than doing stuff that is, uh, not, uh, uh, helpful or creative, takes away energy.
0: Very cool. A lot of that answer, Remly. Uh, we're, we're going to add links in the show notes to, uh, your, your Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, the podcast as well. Um, anything else you want to plug our audience before we go?
1: Yeah. You, people got um you're gonna add those links in that's awesome uh people can find me on twitter um the book is on onboardingbook.com but as well as like people don't realize i'm gonna be creating more i'm actually um, very bullish on youtube and doing youtube shorts and maybe TikTok. Oh, shit! <laughs> so if they can check and look look for app keys on on uh youtube and i'm gonna be creating some more videos and, and short form vertical videos for there cool not the dancing videos
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah looking forward to see you with the guitar on on tiktok